0: Everybody. Welcome to another episode of Strategy Can Be Fun with me, Keith Bergun, and as always, Brett Lowy. Hi. So this uh, episode, we have chosen to play the Reiner Knizia card game, uh, Blue Moon. Uh, I guess specifically we've been playing Blue Moon Legends, which is the 2014 remake of this game, which was originally made... 2004, if I'm not mistaken, Um, and uh, yeah, like we we had a a little bit of a journey with it, and I do think it was one of the most challenging game for us, uh, probably overall, um, to understand and and in in multiple ways. Um, But yeah, so so we played a bunch of that. I don't know brett do you want to start off uh give us an introduction or you know tell us what yeah what the game's all about and how you play
1: sure so yeah at the core it's kind of like an asymmetric monster battling game i suppose um and so it's a two-player game um and you each choose like a faction deck that has like 30 cards in it um and i think there's i don't know eight to ten faction decks or something like that um and so the core of the game is that you um, some of your cards are like creature cards, and so you play them out into a creature zone, and um, they have a, a fire element and a earth element on each of the cards. And so when you play a creature, you can some of them it might be have like a three fire and one earth score. And so when you play the creature, you get to choose whether you want to fight uh, with your opponent on earth or fire. And then there's kind of like a one-upsmanship game that you both play, where you both try to get a higher amount of whatever you declared. So if you declared fire, then you might start with three fire, and your opponent has to try to match that. Um, And you go back and forth until somebody can't match it. Um, And then at that point, uh, the person who can't match it retreats, uh, and they lose basically a victory point, which is represented with some dragons. Um, And if you basically, um, there's the, the three dragons start in the middle. And if you win a fight, um, when your opponent retreats, uh, you take one dragon. Um, and then if you win another fight, you take another dragon. And then if if you win a fight and your opponent has a dragon, you put one of those dragons back in the middle. Um, so it's kind of like an overly convoluted way, um, like a push-pull thing. Um, mm-hmm. Basically, when when you would take the fourth dragon, you instead win the game. Um, but yeah, it's basically <laughs> right. like just it's four fights more than your opponent, something like that.
0: Um, yeah. And, and it's essentially at its heart, it's kind of a trick taking game, right? Like it's, it's very familiar kind of gameplay to, um, a, a trick taking game I played uh, a lot of recently was uh, Fox in the Forest. So it has that kind of like, you know, a limited deck of cards with numbers on them and kind of like, you know, trying to take the trick sort of. And, and it really has that kind of a dynamic to it. Um, and we should also mention that this game is a is a very popular game and has a lot of like really big fans um including a bunch of board game designers that we both respect um and that is that was one of the reasons I think that we chose to play this game was um and I it's funny I so my experience with this game was about 10 years ago, I got a copy of this game because I, I'm actually a big fan of Rainer Knizia. I love a lot of his games. Uh, I could list at least 10 games of his that I have owned or you know played a ton of. Uh, and yeah, I think he's a great designer. Um, and so I got this game back in the day. And uh, I played it, I think, one time and just was like, this is the worst. I don't, what the hell is this? This is terrible. And I hated it. And I never played it yeah, even a second time. Um, and so that's, that in and of itself is interesting. But then, you know, time goes by. Last year, I got it really into Magic the Gathering. And I sort of forgot the rules to Blue Moon. um, But I remember that it was kind of like Reiner Canizia's sort of take on a creature battler, sort of, uh, or a CCG. So I was like, oh, maybe now that I've played a bunch of Magic, like, you know, I'll have a different interpretation or I'll understand the game better in some way. It's really nothing like Magic at all, in my opinion. Like, it's it's not at all. It's more like a trick-taking game than, uh, you know, a CCG monster basher. And, uh, yeah, uh, so I don't know if there's any other, like, setup things, you know, introduction-y kinds of things you want to say about the game before we dive into the, uh, actual nitty-gritty of what we thought.
1: Uh, no, yeah, we can go ahead.
0: Okay, cool, yeah, I mean, so, I, I, there have been definitely some fleeting moments, where I was like, oh, I'm kind of like getting this and I like I'm enjoying it, you know? Um, but those were sort of the exception. Like a lot, there's so many pain points in this game um, and uh, times when things are just much harder to understand and grok than they need to be because of all manner of types of issues from the text. You know, like what the text says to how the cards are, the graphic design of the cards, um, to the theme and how a theme, you know, provides affordances or not, um, to the rules themselves. There's there's just so many places where you have to, it's sort of like... I don't know if, if people have been working on their own prototypes before and like in the very early stages when you have no art or anything and things just have, you know, placeholder names and they don't necessarily make sense. Um, and you have to do so much effort in your brain to to like carry all this information and, you know, and 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 actually play with the, those like very simple paper prototypes. This game has a similar effect um, for me. And even we played, I don't know, you and I played, what, like 12 matches maybe, 15 matches, somewhere in that ballpark? And I played a bunch more on the Keldon app also against the bot, um, which is a, f- a fine app. It's not as good as rich for the Galaxy, uh, but it gets the job done. Um, and, uh, yeah, even after all that playing, I still you know things don't like laser into your brain about what they are at all mm-hmm. um and so that just made it like i almost feel like you know we could probably spend another month playing this game and maybe by that point we would you know have sort of like forced the the grockability into our brains you know like we've actually started to hard associate these things with yeah. their functionality um and i think and i think that uh, that's another thing about the game is you kind of got to like take it into its historical context of like this was a game that came out in 2004 there was a lot less card games and board games out there the quality of card games and board games at the time in just across the board was basically just less you know like we've learned a lot since then um so and you know and i think it my sort of take overall is like a kind of you had to be there about it and but i'm i am curious to know if there are players who have played this game for the first time in 2022 and fell in love with it uh, i'd be very interested to see if that how how often how frequently that happens
1: yeah like fundamentally it felt like we never really got to a state of like smoothness playing the game there was always like jarring uh, or awkward things or things that we were forgetting and i think that in that respect in particular, board games definitely have made a lot of progress since 2004, um, or maybe even since 2014. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, like just generally, when I was coming at this game initially, like one of the things that I associate Reiner Canizia with is uh, elegance, for sure, um, in terms of like simple rules uh, the, and um, and a lot of depth to the game. Um, and I still kind of feel like there is a simple, elegant core to this game um and that with a different development process it could have been quite elegant but then there was just so many uh production choices that were made that contribute to it feeling like it being harder to remember um the rules once you learn them um it being harder to get into a flow of play um the the affordances are really sketchy i think like you know cards Cards, for example, really don't um, imply what they do uh, Mm -hmm. or have kind of like cohesive identity to them in a lot of cases. Um, Mm -hmm. There's just like a lot of like extra phases to the game that seem like they could have been uh, cut down a little bit. But yeah, like, I don't know. So overall, I kind of get this feeling that the core of the game actually is elegant, but then um, developmentally, the elegance was kind of lost or covered up
0: yeah I, I could see that i i also think that um you know so one of the things that everyone tells you on like BoardGameGeek geek or wherever you go to read about this game is you have to learn the decks and yeah. like you know on one hand it's like oh yeah of course you know that kind of makes sense right like that's that shouldn't be a big deal but the thing is it's actually very hard to learn these decks because they are so sort of granularly different um, we, we took, we, you know, we played these two, we played these two decks, uh, the, what were their names? Hoax and yours was like, I forget. I don't know. They're
1: Dragon Bird The Bird, guys. Dragon
0: Bird people. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, we played those two decks almost exclusively. Um, and we looked through a bunch of the other decks, decks as well. And, um, you know, they're, they're, they're different, but they're like. They're like kind of subtly different, Um, and it's in ways that are important. You do have to know how they're different, but it feels like uh, it's hard to remember the differences because A, the theme is not strongly supporting that those differences um, necessarily, um, and B, they're kind of small powers. Like, oh, the, the, this faction has a bunch of fives, which is like a powerful uh, numeric card value, and your faction only doesn't have a lot of fives, but they instead can sort of like, you know, play multiple cards in a turn or something like that. Um sure. And yeah, I mean, I think it's like my o- my overall feeling is that, you know, Reiner Knizia has designed over 700 ga- games at this point. And I think that that kind of a prolific designer works really well for games like Lost Cities or Through the Desert or Tigers and Euphrates or Battleline, Battle line, these things that are like. All, sort of elemental and like um not heavily reliant on com- com- components you know whereas uh this game is a very componential game i think that's the way in which it's similar to like magic is that like it's it's you know the it's all about these decks like you really got to know these decks and i think that reinerkina's production process whatever it is i don't know the details of it but i do know that he goes through games rather quickly uh you know he has to um in order to make this many games um i think that's not that amenable to this kind of like a content heavy game and i think that most of our problems are probably rooted in that as as its core issue because it just feels like like you said about development like so many of the things just needed more time to cook you know um both in terms of like what are the identities of the of the um, of the different uh, fa- factions? You know, what kind of powers would be cool? You know, when I, I, this really it feels to me like a one third of the way cooked game, not systemically, but like componentially in terms of the actual decks and stuff. Like, I feel like that could could be driven so much further. And and it's funny how like having more interesting, fun powers. Are more memorable and easier to remember. Um, So yeah, it's it's there's something there's a lesson in this game about like information packageability, you know, in terms of like human psychology and like how we can um, understand what a character is all about. Um, I'm thinking of the card game Yomi. Uh, as a maybe a a comparable thing where um, each character has an identity and they have 52 cards in their whole deck and that's a lot of cards and those cards are all unique pretty much but you don't have to know every single thing because you kind of get their basic first of all they have only a few cards that have like really specific powers on them but like the rest of it is all just, like, everything's leaning in a clear way. Like, there's this fire character who, you know, Jaina, who, like, does a lot of chip damage. And, you know, like, like there's, like, a few things you really got to know. Whereas in this game, like, I still don't, like, we sat down and we looked at the cards. And I still don't know, like, if I was playing against the Hoax faction, what I should be doing strategically or what I should be you know valuing or not valuing or like or like i don't understand the strategy of the game yet does does that make sense
1: yeah i think a lot of the this game kind of you know as you're uncovering the depth comes down to like predicting what your opponent might do right um and we kind of did this exercise where we just like laid out both of each other's decks and went through them together before we played um in like our third session or something like that um and like just literally went through and memorized the important parts of the deck as much as we could but yeah like to your point like the game really doesn't seem to do any favors uh for like chunking the information together in your brain um there's not a lot of like cohesive identity to any of the decks that i could tell at least that's um obvious um like there probably is like if you play a deck 20 times or something you know you're just going to start to get a feel for what it's like but at least in the initial 10 plays or so um it was hard to get a sense of cohesive identity and especially like if if we're saying that the game is only good when you kind of know what your opponent's deck is all about, um, you really have to help the players get there. Um, and so, yeah, like there's not a lot of cohesive identity either thematically, um, or mechanically really with any of the decks that I could suss out really. Um, Yeah.
0: And to, to your point there real quick about like the, Oh, eventually you could sort of understand the, the, the nature of the deck after you play it, you know, 20, 30 times or whatever, but it's like, If I told you, okay, here is a magic deck that is literally just randomly chosen cards and you play that enough, you will eventually understand the you know what I mean? Like there is no it's just completely random cards from the entire history of magic. But if you play that one deck enough times, like you will start to eventually understand its dynamics and it will have a but but, you know, there's a big difference between that and like design, I guess.
1: Yeah, I think that's a really apt analogy. I think that's exactly what it feels like—like like just a random pile of magic cards kind of cobbled together. Um, yeah,
0: and there are some um, co- there are some thematic things that contribute to that too. Like some, like there are some. Like I have some. I have like one dragon person card in my hoax deck, and I have like a missile launch card. Even though there are like all these old senators, so like it actually makes it feel more arbitrary too like it makes it actually tells my brain anything could be in here so don't try to d- develop any shorthands or shortcuts literally anything could be in this deck you know what i mean
1: yeah totally and yeah so like you know I, th- I feel like there is depth to uncover in this game um and that's kind of you know demonstrated by the way that people talk about it um, yeah uh, but the thing is like And we we need depth because we need, you know, tier four forms. Like, in the game form, a strategy game, we really want the game to resist solution Mm -hmm. so that we can continue to develop understanding about it. That's kind of, like, the fun of games, um, strategy games, um, or a big part of it. But so this game does have depth, but the word that kept popping up into my brain is that the depth is kind of, like, obtuse. Mm. Like, it's not particularly, like, exciting when you uncover a new piece of information, um, and it's not, like it's not like an aha moment exactly it's just like oh like i guess i have to remember this now this mm-hmm. like random data data point or something like that um i wrote down a couple examples uh if you drill down like right to the card level like um there's a card that i had in the dragon deck uh called Bastion, Mm-hmm. and it's just like a two one two earth one fire card i believe um and so that's just kind of like a mediocre stat line like it's not really super important to remember that um and it makes the, your opponent kind of discard two cards. Um, but in this game, there's not really a big concept of card advantage, um, mm-hmm. because at the end of each of your turns, you draw up to six cards. Um, and so, even if I make you discard two cards, um, you're kind of—it's not really limiting your card flow long term. And so, as especially because like, I choose—I
0: choose which cards I discard. That's important to know, also.
1: Right. Right. And so it's not really damaging like your raw number of card flow. It's just limiting your options a little bit for one turn. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and so, but and it, speeding it, up the
0: deck cycle a little bit, which has, I still don't fully understand strategically like why, you know, why you'd want to do that or not, but
1: well, that, that's exactly my point. Like yeah. the card doesn't really give a uh, good affordances for like what the point of it is. Uh, mm. It's not really clear. Like what the point of playing Bastion is or like why, what a strategically good moment to play it would be. Um, and so, like, there is depth to uncover there in terms of, like, I can, you know, think about the end game conditions and, like, look ahead and think, like, oh, I'm, like, limiting your deck and think about, like, what situations I would want to, like, limit your deck or not do it. Um, but it's just... There's something about it that feels, like, unsatisfying. Um, like, the answer is, like, very unintuitive, kind of, and it's also, like, not that exciting, I guess. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. So I think that that's a big problem that I had with a lot of things in this game is like the card thematically like doesn't it, actually, yeah, like the Bastion card art is like some big buff guy. Um, and so like that doesn't give any affordance of like limiting your options or making you discard cards or anything like that. Um, and then so like thematically it's not helping and then there's no like cohesive identity for like strategically like why I care about this card or like why it's important or when it's good to play either. And so basically, you just, you know, as you're like playing the game initially, like you're just looking at this card and you just have question marks in your head. Like, I don't know what the point, like, why is this even a card in the game? Like, what is the point of this thing, like content or whatever? Yeah. Um, And I had that feeling quite a bit. Um,
0: Yeah, there's the old meme about Reiner Canizia games that I never understood, actually, until I played this game. Um, which is that his games are like just, you know, an abstract system and then he sort of like slaps on some theme. And I always thought that was unfair. Like I I played games like you know, again, Lost Cities and Through the Desert and and um, his tiling game, Samurai um, and uh, Money. And I felt like themes were totally fine. Like they worked just fine. They they expressed the, yeah, they're a little on the abstract side, but they totally work for what those games are. Um, it was only with this, with this game where I was like, oh, yeah, yeah this definitely seems like a themeless game basically but then there's just a theme for some reason and it doesn't um very much connect with the what's actually happening mechanically
1: yeah not only that i think it kind of works against it like like i think my initial understanding of bastion was like the opposite of what it actually is kind of Um, yes so i had to like do work to like un unlearn or unsee like the what the theme was telling me and you know try to see it more mechanically uh or something like that um yeah i don't know another point i have here is like um it just feels like i think there's like six or seven phases in the game oh Um, yeah
0: at least maybe (laughs) more
1: yeah, and it just seems like the, a lot of those could be combined or streamlined somehow, or deleted
0: um, even. And some like one one phase is beginning and one phase is end, and you don't do anything on those phases. Um, yeah. But it's just listed as a phase, I guess, because some cards say at the beginning of your turn, et cetera, et cetera, which is like arguably just a graphic design or issue, maybe more than anything else. But like they're on your board and it looks like there's like nine phases and you're it's actually really just like three or four. You know what I mean?
1: Right. Or like uh, another pain point was like the typical endgame condition is like winning the fourth dragon, like where you would attract a fourth dragon but then there's another endgame condition, which is which is, which is this: <laughs> it's if you a player empties their deck and their hand, and uh, the current fight gets resolved, it ends somehow. Then the player with the most dragons wins. Okay. Right. Uh, unless there's a tie for dragons, so like all the dragons are on the central board rather than in the players' possessions, mm-hmm. in which case the number of cards in hand that you have wins. And so that makes, like, a card like Bastion even more confusing because it's, like, the only reason you would care about, like, milling out your deck, basically, is if I'm already ahead on dragons because otherwise it doesn't actually help me win. It just speeds up the ending of the game. Um, So really, like, what Bastion, after, like, you kind of go through the motions of, like, parsing it, what Bastion really means is, like, the game becomes a little bit faster and you have your options limited for your next turn. Right. Which is like
0: two disparate ideas that don't really go together. I mean, I guess it's supposed to be like a rushy kind of thing. Maybe like if we're reaching the end of the game, you can play that, you know, and, uh, you know, I I, I guess and and win one more dragon, I guess. But it's just yeah, I guess maybe it works um, when you think about it, but it it shouldn't you shouldn't have to think about it. You know, I I feel like it really should be um, there's some there's some lesson in here about like. Components and and rules and you know things like spells and stuff being bold and being like I know what that is. I looked at it for one second. I know what it is. I know what its basic at least tactical value is. Um, and then on top of that, you have all these extra strategic things that you have to really think about and play with for years to learn all the all the details and the nuance and whatnot. But you shouldn't have a thing of like I I'm looking at this and I don't really get. The value of this like why would i want this you know like um another good analogy might be like imagine if this game were a deck builder and you had a market of these cards like you should like why would i want this card <laughs> why would i want the bastion card other over something else you know that should be like really clear i think
1: right there's several like what you really want is uh, for the question to be something like, when is the best strategic moment to play this card or whatever? Or, like, when is situationally is this strong? Something like that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, w- the question that I have with Bastion is more like, yeah, to your point, like, what is the point of this card even? Like, why does this exist? Like, mm-hmm. why would I ever want this card? Um, and yeah, that's kind of just like a fundamentally different thing. And like, it, you know, I keep, I keep, I don't know, coming back to this idea that, like, yes, that is depth, but it's just not a satisfying kind of depth, at least for me. Um, right. Yeah, it's it's
0: like the magic, the the bunch of ma- random magic cards thing, you know, it's like, you know, and, and it's also the, kind of the case that like, if a game is functioning at all, um, and is of a certain level of complexity, um, there's going to be some some depth there, really. Um, and, you know, I'm not saying that this is this is this. Has, this I trust people who tell me like this has a remarkable amount of depth. Um, I, I think that's I can believe that. You know what I mean? Like there's enough people saying that that's the case where I I, I think that's probably true. Um, but you know that that's not enough. You know, like we don't just want games to be deep. Um, right. We we want a lot of things from games.
1: It's actually not that hard to make a game deep, um, just by making it like extremely convoluted. Um, true. You can make it hard to play well. Um. But, yeah, it's the trick is making that depth satisfying for players to kind of uh, learn and grow through uh, or to ascend up or, or whatever analogy you want to use. Um, yeah, another uh, idea I have here is that there's just, like, lots of gotchas in this game. Um, mm-hmm. Like, a lot of moments where it's like, oh, like, I guess I didn't know that or whatever. Um, yeah, so, like, um, a lot of the cards feel like gotchas. And so, like, that's part of the reason that... Um, it feels important to like having to to memorize each other's decks before playing. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's kind of like a big ask for any game that you have like this pre game thing where we just like do some work or whatever. Um,
0: Yeah. Like try, imagine trying to play this with someone new who was like not a huge, you know, hugely committed to the idea of like getting into this game. It's like very, it's, it seems like a, a real big ask, you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, very much so. Uh, one of the early ones that we had is like, you play a character card uh, you play one character card on your turn, and then you can play one uh, of either a booster or a um, what are they called? Support card uh, on your turn. So one character, and then one booster or support. Right. Um, except on the first turn of a fight, if you're starting a fight, you only get to play a character card. So that's one gotcha. Um, and then the other weird thing is that um, when you play so so say you play you start a fight play a character card your opponent plays and then it comes back to you you don't actually like add another character on to the fight you kind of like replace your existing character and all the booster cards that came with it and so the characters are kind of like these like one turn things generally speaking Hmm. which is another kind of like weird affordance because like the idea of like a character or a creature um, has the affordance of like permanence right rather than like one turn
0: it's backwards from magic. It's like the platformer where b is jump and a is run. uh, yeah. you know, it's it, it's it's like, yeah, so magic has creatures which are basically, you know, semi-permanent and it has spells which are usually one-time effects. In this game, the boosters are like sort of th- and uh, supports are sort of themed like spells and they but they're permanent. Even if they it shows like one of them like told you the the one I can't get over is the homing missiles or whatever, <laughs> which are just thematically completely out of place. Uh and which by the way, I would like that if they sort of leaned into that and it was like a ha ha, this is like a you know, uh totally idiosyncratic syncratic uh theme but it's not that it's just it's just suddenly idiosyncratic um anyways uh yeah so the, the the homing missiles actually stick around and are there with you for the whole trick whereas your characters are overwritten and like deleted every every turn sort of
1: right so of those three classes of cards your characters get overwritten every turn um and the booster cards are things that you play on your characters as well and they also get overridden, and then yeah, like like you're saying, like the homing missiles, like a support. There's a third class of card, and it's called support cards, and they don't get removed until the end of the trick. And so that's already very weird, especially like with the theming as you're saying. And then the other thing is like, okay, your character cards and your booster cards get removed, except if you have six cards that you've played in in the fight when you attract a dragon, you actually attract two dragons. And so you still have to keep your character card and your booster cards that you played around for the purposes of counting to six cards, basically. So it's like they're they're in this like semi-mattering, semi-done state or whatever. Yeah. Um, and then half of them are, you know, themed like spells and half of them are themed like creatures, but they're both ephemeral. And then there's another class of things that's themed like spells, and those are like more permanent. So like, that's just, I don't know kind of doesn't make it's very obtuse like it's hard to learn um it doesn't make a lot of sense even after you learn it and so it's hard to remember um
0: i would say another gotcha type of thing uh, sort of or at least a related issue is uh so the scoring mechanism brett mentioned it was like you know you have these three dragons on the on the middle of the thing and you basically to when you get a point you pull a dragon towards you so if the dragon's in the middle i put it on my side of the the board uh if the dragon's on brett's side of the board i pull it back to the middle okay that all kind of makes sense like It's- it's a little weird that they're dragons, you know? I mean, I- okay, I guess. I mean, dragon to me suggests, like, that it's dangerous or that it has some of its own, uh, you know, it does the thing, right? Like, it's an agent of some kind, but it's really just they're, like, tokens or something. They're, they're, like- or, like- Gold rupees, they could be any inert thing, you know. So, the theme is valuable,
1: something that you want to collect, yeah, right.
0: So, the theme doesn't, yeah, exactly. Collect, right? You collect three dragons. What that's like not a thing. And then, the other weird, like, sort of semi gotcha thing about it is that the dragons have three colors one is red, one is blue, and one is green. Oh, well, you may be wondering what those colors mean, and the answer is nothing at all. It doesn't matter, all three of the dragons are exactly the same uh thing that it's just you need 3 of them. And so that's yep. another one of those like, you know, that doesn't matter. Like that's very easy to get over, but it's it's another example of that kind of um sort of like failed affordance where the 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 game is, you know, I love that expression. I, Isaac shellev have told me that expression of like the uh the rule book should just confirm what the game is already telling you, you yeah. know. Um, and that, that speaks to the idea of affordances and that like you can just like look at a game, look at the board, look at some cards, not even knowing how to play. And it's like it's sort of already hinting to you like what you're supposed to do with all these things. And that dragons, the dragons having three different colors is not important. It's fine. It's not a big deal, but it is you know, emblematic of, or an illustration of this broader problem that's sort of throughout the system where, you know, there are all these things telling you this works this way, but it doesn't work that way. Um, and you know, and so that, that's, yeah, I, I think that's an interesting example just for the demonstration of that, of that quality.
1: Totally. Uh, another example of that type of thing in this game is that like of the three main card classes, uh, the characters, the booster, and the sport cards—they all have like the same card frame and look very, very similar to one another. Um, they all have like element, an earth element and a fire element thing listed in the top left. They all have the exact same card frame. They all have art in the same place and the text box in the same place. Um, the only difference is like on the left, in a little box in black text, it says like character or booster or support, and or it's
0: sideways text too, which yep. people love reading sideways text. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's a real problem. That one actually is a problem. Like, we've been playing a lot, and I still... You don't have a sense, just from looking at your hand of six cards, you don't have a quick, immediate sense of, like, Which of these are boosters? Which of these are characters? There's nothing to, like, immediately tell you that. You have to, like, literally, like, scan by one and each one and be like, okay, what's this one? Okay, this is a character. Oh, what's this one? Oh, it's a booster. Okay. You know, and again, if I play a thousand times, I'm sure I just know every card by heart and that becomes not a problem. Um, But, you know, for your first, at least, I can say, like, 20, 25 matches, it's still a problem and... Those those things all matter, you know?
1: Yep. Another weird affordance thing in this game is there's another class of cards called leadership cards. And you basically play those cards in their own leadership phase, which is another one of those phases that could probably get designed out, and you get to play one leadership card per turn. And then when you play a leadership card, it goes the rule book says that it goes into its own like leadership zone that's like over on the side of the board. But right. really for all of the leadership cards that I play, they have like an instant effect that takes place. And then they don't matter for the rest of the game. So I could not for the life of me figure out why those don't just go in the discard pile, why they have like their own zone. Uh, That's
0: really funny. That's one of those ones that like actually makes me laugh because it's like, what? why is there a zone for this? Like it, it suggests that you're going to do something with that or like, oh, move something into your leadership zone. You know, like it doesn't it's just another discard pile, basically.
1: Yep. Um, uh. Another weird thing is like in my deck, I had like the dragon uh, bird people or whatever. And so a bunch of my one of the themes of the deck, actually, this is a good point, is that we were talking a little bit about the cohesiveness. And so one of the themes of my deck is that I can play a creature card down to the battlefield and then pick it up next turn uh, back to my hand. And then I can use it again later on um, or that or even that same turn, which is kind of like having an affordance of like flying. Like it kind of makes sense. Like I'm flying back to my hand. Yeah,
0: that's like not Um, a bad power, I think.
1: Right. That's, so the that's power's cool. called. Totally, the power is called retrieve, and it's pretty simple. Like at the beginning of your turn, if you have a one of these creatures out, you can return it to your hand. But then there's this weird, inelegant thing about how it works, which is, um, if I have a retrieve card out, and my opponent has a retrieve. No, oh, sorry, I got it wrong. Even <laughs> if I have so... an, a retrieve character card out, and my opponent has a retrieve character card out then I can't retrieve my character on my turn. It like your your Retrieve character kind of blocks mine from being returned. Right. And notably that only happens if they're both character cards. So if I have a, a card that has Retrieve that's a booster card and you have a Retrieve character card, I can retrieve my, my booster card, no problem. Or vice versa, if you have a booster card that's got Retrieve and I have a character card that is Retrieve, I can Retrieve, no problem but it's just like if there's two character cards with retrieve that's why, like when this weird blocking exception happens and that's just such a messy rule um drives me crazy
0: yeah yeah for sure uh the, the, and and th- that reminds me that like the the powers i think we've mentioned this a little bit already but like that that's one of the best powers i think in the game is the retrieve because i i do understand that like i do get how the like basic concept of like you don't have to keep like burning new cards. You can just keep playing this three over and over again, as long as, you know, and you can save your other better character cards for for later battles. That like, that's super clear and good and, and fine. And then another power that I also definitely get is the ability to play multiple things at once. One thing we did notice as we went through all the other decks is that there's like three or four different icons that are like their own power. That are really actually just the same power again, you know, like there's one called Group, which lets you play as many characters as you want from your hand as long as they have the first word in common. And that also is a little bit chonky and weird, but whatever, put that aside for now. So as long as the first word in the title of the card is the same word, then you can play as many of those as you want. Or that's that's for the group one or no, uh, it's called gang, I think. And then there's another one that your bird people have, which is what's that one called that power? It's like the two faces Pair. pair. Okay, and that means exactly the same thing as the other thing I just said, except you can only do two of them. Ooh, exciting.
1: Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) like, yeah, like developmentally asymmetry. yeah i guess so yeah it's like there's just like multiple slightly different ways to get around the one character plus one booster or support card per turn rule right um and yeah i think there was like three or four different instances of that circumvention like different mechanics that did that kind of thing and it's just weird um like it feels like those can be consolidated for sure um and yeah. even if they were consolidated it's not like a tremendously exciting power right to be able to like play multiple things um I don't know.
0: Yeah, Yeah. no, for sure. I like I, you know, I I keep coming back to for me, it's like there is a cool game in here. And I think that Kenizia should have just not made this an asymmetrical thing. I think it should have just been one of his like, you know, uh, Times Square or like, um you know, on guard or battle line kind of games, right? Like, if this were like an app ab- a little more abstract and was, you know, you had some, some, I don't know, you, you would have to change some systemic rules probably, but if you just deleted the asymmetry entirely and like made it sort of more of a symmetric game or, you know, something along those lines, I think like, I think it would be like, a perfectly fine cool game like you know that uh like a perfectly good entry into the Kinizia ludography um but because there's so many rubs between the values of an asymmetric game and the design uh criteria and and what's necessary um, for asymmetric games like this and the kind of game that it is fundamentally as heart, this sort of like abstract trick-taking game. Um, And that there's so many rubs there. Like I was thinking that games with like asymmetry of like 10 factions, all their own decks, you know, those are like, You got to spend years on a game like that, I think. Like, you know, those games take a really long time to make it so that all those characters and all those components are all like really good and interesting and fun and exciting and balanced and, you know, all that stuff that we look for. Um, And so I I sort of feel like, you know, it's an interesting case study, especially looking at Canizia's history. I don't know if he's ever done another asymmetric game in this um in this sort of style are you aware if he has
1: uh no I, I can't think of another one off the top of my head
0: yeah and so i think like it's just you know he it was it's not the way he's used to working and and you just see that marks of that all over it i think
1: mm-hmm. um i have a small note here about uh one of the, another affordancy awkward thing which is um uh, on one of my card powers, a lot of the card text powers, like the special exception e powers um are written kind of awkwardly. um and so I think I had a card that said like um, my opponent it says like your opponent can't play your opponent's special power text powers don't work for this turn, basically. Um, but then it also says it's like then it says like comma, except if they have an active protected card um. So I guess protected is the thing that kind of circumvents my power or whatever. Right. But to me, like this is a pet peeve where my card shouldn't say anything about protected. The protected card should say this prevents such and such type of powers or whatever. Um, For sure. Because every single time I read that card, I was like, okay, this is going to shut down his powers unless he has a protected thing. And then I would think about it. Like if I'd ever seen like a protected thing before, or if that was like, And and there was I don't even think there was any protected mechanic in either of our decks for the whole playthrough, but it was a it was a sticking point every single time I I read the card. It was like oh this card is trying to tell me something about an exception about like protected cards or something like that, and yet it never came up once. Um, So it just hurt the. The smoothness or the ability of the card. Um,
0: yeah, and that's one of those things that, like, I really think we see across the board improvement in board game design and graphic design and how information is communicated. Like these days, the way you would do that, or a way you could do that, would be to have an icon that means you know nullify a card, right? Like the the nullify icon or whatever, and that that means, and then you look in the rule book and it says uh, ignore the rules on this card, and then you also have another icon that that's like a shield or something that means protected right and what is protected means it means this card cannot be nullified boom in the in the rule book like we put those kinds of things in there and then you explain it to players once you don't need a big paragraph on every card that has all those things right
1: yeah yeah exactly yeah icons well yeah one of the nice things about icons kind of iconographizing thing mechanics like that is that it, it forces you as the designer to like only keep the mechanics that are actually worth having an icon for and having the players learn up front. Yeah. And so you don't just have like 30 different powers that are all kind of used like once or twice and not that important. You have like fewer, you cut the ones that aren't that important and keep the ones that are better. Um, So that's cool. And then the other thing is, yeah, so there's that. And then there's also just like, I I don't think that my card should be uh, telling me about, it would be like if every single magic card said, it would be like Lightning Bolt said, Deal three damage to a, a target, unless countered by a counterspell or something like that. Right,
0: and it's right. like,
1: like the counterspell tells me about like how counterspell works. Like my card just does what it does, that yeah, kind of thing. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I thought that was annoying. Um, yeah,
0: yeah. I um my another sort of bigger broad thought that I have about this game and and board game history and stuff is, um you know, I I think a lot about the sort of intersections or lack thereof between video games and, and board games. And, you know, like I've talked for years and years and years, like a lot of my game design theory has been, hey, video game designers start learning more from board games. Like so much of what I think about and care about from a systems design perspective is like board game designers are are brilliant. They're way ahead of you on systems design. Start copying stuff from them, get ideas from them, start thinking about systems design the way that board game designers do, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But this game is actually an example, I think, of the opposite of like where, you know, and I do think board game designers have also been learning from video game designers um, and, you know, not just video game designers, but like You know, app designers, web designers, graphic designers, um, just UI, UX sort of concepts that are just, you know, floating around in in the world. Um, And but I think that like. Specifically, video games, something that video games are awesome at, they're awesome at asymmetry. Like, they're really good in general at, like, creating exciting, cool powers, you know, that, like, or characters or factions or whatever. You know, like Starcraft with the Zerg and, uh, like, they're they're so good at that kind of stuff, you know? Um, and I think that's a big thing that people love about video games. And uh, And this game is, like... It it it's sort of stepped its toe into that world with the asymmetry, but it doesn't have it like there's a whole other axis that we haven't really talked about, which is like sort of the appeal axis, um, and that has to do with some like aesthetic things and thematic things and um, and and this game just like and 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 mechanical things like you know this game just doesn't have the the like thematic exciting juice that you would get in a video game, even like kind of a crappy video game, um, would have like this, you know, these identities these, uh, character classes or whatever, like that, that, that let you get excited about picking a thing, you know, picking a given faction or a character or whatever it is. Um, and, th- and this game just doesn't have that. And so one thing that I, I do, think is is slowly happening more and more is that I do I when I look at this game it's interesting for me because it's like a point in history and you can see how like wow board games have actually learned a lot from like video games and and you know, stuff like icon design and like how, how those things work together and, and how things, how to make things smooth, you know, play smoothly, um, like, like reducing the cognitive load, uh, which again, video games are very good at video games are like all about just like, this is going to go down your gullet super smooth and it's not going to be any problems. Um, and board games have learned a lot about that since 2004.
1: Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, like to your point about like uh it being exciting to pick a faction or making it exciting to pick a faction. One thing that made me kinda of, like uncomfortable about this game is like a lot of the theming, I can't tell like whether it's meant uh like as a semi joke or like ironically kind of. Um so I have a couple examples here. Like one of my cards was called Proud Phoenix Phil. Not like Philomena or something fantasy esque, but it was like Phil. Right. And he's like he has like a weird bird face. Or like, and he's
0: not I doing anything, so you don't know what what his deal is.
1: Yeah, or I had another one called Carl Kamikaze Crow.
0: But he's uh, not a or, kamikaze. He doesn't, like, destroy himself to, to don't get any ideas, you know?
1: Or I had one called Steep Stoop. One of my cards was called Steep Stoop. So it's, like, right in that uncanny valley of, like, I don't know whether this is intended as a joke or to be silly or funny because, like, a lot of the rest of the aesthetic choices are, like, kind of... I don't know like a lot of the game suggests kind of a serious tone to me um and not very flippant but then if you look at like the card illustrate some of the card illustrations and some of the card names it does seem flippant uh there was like a faction of like cyberpunk gangsters that you played in one game that was like they had names like no style and fun flip and cool club um
0: wait you saw those as cyberpunk gangsters i thought they were supposed to be like fairy forest children or something like oh. that's that's the point like and, and that's yeah like I, we don't even agree on what their theme was supposed to be not even remotely close like two completely disparate uh, concepts because i i thought they were like you know cookery type like forest people or something
1: sure yeah it could be <laughs> sure I'm whatever sure. who knows <laughs> yeah. because
0: their names are like fun flip and no flip and flip flip and flop flip and cool co cool cop and like, yeah, literally. And there's literally one called Cool, cool Cop. Cool Cop <laughs> is neither cool nor a cop, yeah. visibly, right? And he doesn't arrest you. He doesn't do anything cop related. He nope. doesn't do anything like cool. There's, it's just like, and and so yeah, the flippant. It comes off as, as like, I, I would say kind of lazy, but like maybe trying to use like, oh, it's funny and silly as like a the smoke screen for the fact that like there just wasn't enough time put into this, I, I guess lazy is not the right word. It's more just like these things take a lot of time. Right. Yeah. Rushed for what it is. Right. Exactly. Which again, makes sense given this is a designer who's designs hundreds of ga- like a hundred games every couple years, you know, Um yeah. he doesn't have the time to come up with a good name for all these abilities and a good concept for all these abilities. So, you know, you're, you're sitting there playing like fun flip and <laughs> yeah,
1: literally. Yeah.
0: It's there's something just really off putting and strange about that. And it's because it's like it's funny, but not intentionally funny or sometimes it is intentionally funny. And when I don't
1: know when it's intentionally funny or when it's not intentionally funny, I honestly can't. It's very uncomfortable. Uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know whether like whether they're in on the joke some of the time, I guess. Right. Yeah,
0: but 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 then, yeah, like the joke would have to be like mocking the idea of card games or, you know, or like card, so, yeah, like and I don't think that's what he's trying to do. I mean, especially given that this is a game that's actually beloved by a lot of people like, you know, it'd be one thing. It's like he made this like troll game and he was like. He was like, "Ha Like I don't like card games with asymmetric things. So let's make like this sure. really dumb thing. Like I, I think that's a great idea, but um, but I, I don't think that's what this is. Um, it's
1: I it, can't tell whether that's what uh, this is or not. I don't. I don't know.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: What? Like what, how could you have a card called Cool Cop or Carl Kamikaze Crow? Like that's I don't know. It's just like so far over the line <laughs> of like serious or or whatever. And like I don't have any problem with." games being flippant or media being flippant or or funny silly i mean gem wizards is
0: silly and you know i have no problem with that at all
1: but it's just clear that that's intentional i guess is the main Mm -hmm. thing and i'm not sure in which cases it's intentional and in which cases it's not intentional in this game
0: yeah and and i also think like it's a it's a problem of layered problems you know so it's it's one thing if like oh i can't tell if you're trying to be funny or not with this cool cop but i can at least tell that this character is a cop that they do cop like things right you know what i mean like um i don't know if you're mocking the idea of a cool cop or not but i do understand mechanically i'm playing a cop character right like and and I, i get what that sort of means so like It's now it's multiple layers of confusion. Um, Yeah, that that make it really tough.
1: Confusion, yeah, that is the feeling. Yeah, it's like I don't even know. I have no idea why this card is called Cool Cop. Like, I guess that's the simplest way to say it. I don't like of all the names they could have chosen, I I have no idea why they chose that name.
0: (laughs) Right. Yeah. I mean, there's a cool. Cool is the first word, so you can play several cool characters in a row with the group (laughs) power uh but i I don't know why it was the word cool like i think that that's one of those things like uh you know the the first word that came to him or something you know um yeah yeah. so anyway yeah that's that's all pretty pretty uh that, that whole thematic element makes it very chunky and strange i will say the art is like you know pretty good like it ranges from like all right to like quite good there's a few cards that are really just great looking um and especially for the time like i think you know board games especially at that time like had some really really terrible art and and this game you know like they're they're quality paintings uh on every card and there's something to that like i i, I do like that
1: yeah i guess yeah totally yes the art is serviceable to good for sure and um i guess another thing that makes like this the the Circling back to the cool cop thing, like another thing that makes it confusing is like some of the cards are like straight up serious. Like I had some card that was like Call of the Dragon Lord or whatever, and it just has like a menacing dragon eye on it, and like there's nothing about that that's supposed to be like flippant or silly or, or anything like that. Um, mm-hmm. It's just like straight up serious fantasy stuff. Um, so yeah, there's a, there's a bit of like the fact that those are both in the same game, and there's no. Clue, context clues to to show you which is ironic and which isn't, kind of thing. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Um. Yeah. On, on a more positive note, I I have to say, like, if you were in a cabin in the woods, uh, with a friend and you just had this game, uh, I think all these like affordances and smoothness concerns would become like less and less of a problem over time as you just played more and more and more.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: I do think that like there is an interesting depth to be found. Eventually, like I was starting starting to scratch at some of that as we were playing, um but it was just outweighed in, in in my anecdotal experience by all the chunkiness and all the the um hard to grok ability and stuff. But I do believe that if this was the only game you had, there like it would be good to play. Like there'd be a lot of depth and asymmetry to play with for a long amount of time. I think.
0: Yeah, I, it actually I compared a little bit to some of the ancient abstracts, uh, which I think actually. Mm-hmm have a lot in common with these for, you know, for a bunch of different reasons. But like, yeah, if, you know, if you were just, if you had to be stuck in a, in a, yeah, room for you know 10 years or something and just have one game um this game is not a bad choice uh, probably um from what i'm told chess. um similar totally
1: similar to, to go or chess
0: Chess, yeah, yeah exactly where you know but in the beginning it's like really rough at playing those games like the, there's all these weird pain points and it's not inherently exciting really in the way that uh perhaps a modern card game would be like or magic would be um I think so, Go is
1: a really uh, apt comparison because it has that same kind of like obtuseness when you start it up. Like mm. I don't even know like what the point of the game is. Like when you first yeah. like start to learn Go, it's like, oh, you're gonna like encircle the stones, right? Okay, so I'm gonna like try to get around you or whatever. And you start playing with that a little bit, um, or like, oh, I'm even gonna like try to take a big amount of territory. Like okay, I'm gonna try to like enclose a big part of the board. But then, like at some point, you realize that the real game ends up being like about like creating life with like having stones that are like uncapturable in these weird, very specific formations. And that feels very close to like the feeling of playing Blue Moon, like the affordances of the game and like the way that you intuit intuitively like learn it is so far away from the actual strategic, interesting core um, that I'm not even sure we were getting it fully um, by the time we stopped playing.
0: Right. Yeah, for sure. I agree. I-, I should also say, like, you know, I like the kind of game that Blue Moon is. I, I like two player card games, competitive card games that are like, you know, asymm- asymmetric powers and things like that. And um, but it's just like as it stands for me right now, you know, I- there's a lot of trick taking games out there. And like, I probably I sort of feel like even if this is a little deeper, I'm not, like, so into this basic concept that I want to dive that deep into such a game. So, like, I'm perfectly fine just, you know, playing Hearts or Fox in the Forest or something like that. And, you know, it's a lot more of a smooth experience. I can play I can show it to new people, um, and they can play it. Like, you know, uh, that's a pretty big, big deal. So I I I ultimately am feeling like it's a you-had-to-be-there kind of game. Um and but also a fascinating um game i'm glad we played it because i I think that you know it it, there's a lot that you can see um about like board game history and um what how how things have progressed since then
1: yeah for sure yeah it's like i just don't know what about the game justifies putting a whole bunch of work into it to get to that point um and not having a whole heck of a lot of fun in the meantime and so like that's kind of like why i say like if you're in the cabin in the woods like you don't really have a choice right sure this is the game that you're gonna you're gonna learn
0: which uh, people kind of were in the cabin in the woods in 2004 you know like what there wasn't a whole lot of other competition at that time
1: but there's just so many games that have comparable amounts of depth i feel and also don't have all these pain points to get into them uh, yeah so, so yeah
0: yeah it, it's interesting and you know it's i think um no one's talking about this game right now because it's it's, you know, it's kind of old at this point, even the re- the twenty fourteen remake, even that is you know eight years old. Um, and uh, so it's interesting to look it's sort of unfair to look at it through 22, 22 eyes in a way. Um, but it's also very interesting, I think, to look at it um from from where we are now in history.
1: Well, that's one of my favorite things about board games just in general is that as artifacts or as playthings, like they stand up and they can be, they don't become technically obsolete, like where you can't even install it on your computer or whatever, or you don't have that console (laughs) anymore. Right. Board games are like, one of the things that's beautiful about them is that the the self-contained thing, like you have a box with all the components and all the rules that you need to play it. Mm -hmm. And that's so you can play it in 2004 or 2014 or 2022. um, And theoretically uh, there's no technical reason why they shouldn't stand up. Um, But yeah, like in in terms of the particular problems of this game, I agree that like a lot of progress has been made in terms of like learnability and affordances um, that just doesn't show up in this game at all.
0: Yeah, well, it's funny that you mentioned the whole thing about like, you know, there's nothing, there's no like abandonware type of thing, situation with board games, but the the closest to it is, you know, standards change basically over time. And it's interesting to think about like, well, if this was 2004 right now and Blue Moon had just come out and you and me were doing this podcast right now on it how different would we be interpreting it? It's really interesting to think about that. And because our standards have just been so formed by the last 10 years of card games and board games.
1: Yeah, I think it require. I would be pretty harsh on it for, it seems to require a whole bunch more development baking than it had.
0: I think so too, yeah. yeah. All right, well, any last things you want to say about Blue Moon before we uh, you know, do some housekeeping and clean things up?
1: I think that's probably about it. Um, Reiner Knizia is still awesome. Battleline is fantastic. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, no, he's got so many good games. He wrote the foreword to my first book, by the way. That's uh, so cool. Game Design Theory. Um, yeah, yeah, so definitely a huge Kinesia fan. I know we kind of were harsh on this game, this game, and, you know, uh, we don't want to be trashing on it, but, um, we also, you know, there's just a lot of interesting things to say about it. And yeah, he's, I mean, he's undeniably one of the best game designers of all time. Like there's just no denying it.
1: Um, yeah, and in the desert raw tigers mm-hmm. and are all excellent.
0: Dozens and dozens, like probably I and I I've only played like a, th- a quarter or a fifth of his library, I think. And even within those, it's like he has more games that I like than, you know, most people will ever design in their whole life. So um, he, he's a he's a he's a, a monster. Uh, and One, yeah,
1: it's so strange because like, yeah, I associate like this cleanness or this elegance with him. And like that's like the complete opposite of what this deck, this uh, game ended up being.
0: Yeah. That is very interesting. Yeah. Sorry. Um, yeah. So we're going to, we're going to do another uh, card game next time. I do want to eventually do a video game. We're not just a board game show, uh, but uh, we'll get around to it. Uh, but I think we're going to do, we talked about doing ashes rise of the Phoenix born next. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For sure. Which both you and I own and both you and I have only played a couple of times each. So um, I'm very excited to dive into that. That's a very modern card game um i think it'll be actually a really good um kind of contrast in terms of like the historical you know progression of these kinds of games um and uh yeah there i think that'll be really interesting
1: yeah i've only played it a few times but uh from what i can surmise um it feels very like designerly kind Mm -hmm. of like in a sterling type way like a lot of the things seem like they were thought out you can kind of like see evidence of them being thought out um in a very I don't know, intentional way, I guess. And so yeah. yeah, I'm very, very intrigued to play it more.
0: I love that. I love designerly games. I, I you know, for me, playing games is very much like a relationship kind of between you and the designer. And um, I, 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 I very, I focus a lot on like, what's the attention behind this? You know, like, what are they thinking behind this? And, and for me, that's a big part that's exciting about games. All right. Well, uh, yeah. Is there anything else we want to say or talk about before we wrap up?
1: I think that's all I got.
0: All right. Cool. Well, yeah, we'll have some new announcements about uh, some new really cool stuff we're working on uh, probably in the next episode, I guess. Um, But oh, actually, I do have one huge announcement as of this recording, as of basically today. Gem Wizards Tactics has hit the Nintendo Switch and Xbox uh, marketplaces. Um, and I, I this wasn't my decision, uh, and I actually just found out about this a few hours ago, but they're selling it for $2 right now. I don't know how long that sale is going to be going on. It's usually like $12.99. But right now, this is uh, Red Deer's uh, marketing like strategy, I guess. They're selling it for $2. So like definitely if you have an Xbox or a Switch... Go check that out. Um, it's definitely worth $2. I can say that for absolute certainty. Um, yeah, that's a great
1: deal, for sure.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and yeah, it's really cool. Now it's on PC. It's on um, Android. It's on iOS. It's on Switch. It's on Xbox. Uh, it's like a really cross-platform kind of thing. And, and I'm really, really happy about that. So uh, go check that out. And I guess that's about it for this episode of Strategy Can Be Fun. Thank you so much for joining us, and uh, we'll be back again with another episode in uh, about a month or so.
1: Thanks, everybody. Cheers. Bye-bye.